other side of midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Good morrow, everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. Every five or ten years, this is an idea that pops up. The idea of Staten Island secession. I am a proud Staten Islander, and I remember vividly the vote 30 years ago when Staten Islanders voted to explore the issue of secession. I have never been in favor of secession, but I'm all for discussing the issue of secession because generally it has led to Staten Island getting improved treatment from city services. I think the key is for Staten Island to turn out en masse and elect people like Rudy Giuliani and Mike Bloomberg, people that are going to be a little bit kinder to Staten Island than some other mayors may have been. My congresswoman and friend, Nicole Maliotakis, brought this up at a rally yesterday. If you're not going to do your job, Mayor, then let Staten Island secede. Obviously, the state legislature would have to sign off on Staten Island secession, not just the mayor. And I'll be honest, I think the mayor would be happy to see the only borough that didn't vote for him just disappear from New York City. But it would still need to be approved by New York State's legislature. Today in the New York Post, I'm hearing that my friend John Tobacco is going to be echoing what Curtis Lewa has been saying and saying that Staten Island should not just become its own city, but its own state. This would under the U.S. Constitution require the approval of both the state legislature and the Congress. Now, I am, as I said, a very proud New Yorker, and I think there are other solutions to Staten Island's problems, namely electing people that are friendlier to Staten Island than what we've gotten previously. However, ultimately, I think the arbiters of whether or not Staten Island gets to secede should be Staten Islanders. I'd love to see a binding vote on this that the state legislature respects. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. Everyone, this is the other side of midnight on 77 WABC. I'm superstar Frank Morano. One of the monikers that my friend and colleague Curtis Lewa has hung on Mayor Eric Adams is he calls him the swagger man with no plan. Well, putting aside the swagger aspect of that, one of the things that I think Curtis has correctly nailed is that when it comes to the fundamental crisis that the city is facing right now, the migrant issue, the mayor really doesn't seem to have any sort of a plan. A lot of you heard that that the mayor was instituting a 60-day deadline to leave shelters. And now more than 4,500 adult migrants living in city shelters are fast approaching this deadline where they will be ejected from where they currently live. This is thanks to a policy shift in July. And this is sparking all sorts of alarm and concern among some people and optimism for other people. At a Brooklyn shelter at Jefferson Street, a 
converted commercial space, at least 533 residents have received the 60-day warning notice. The notices, highlighting cutoff dates beginning in late September, instruct shelter residents to go to the Roosevelt Hotel, which is the city's main intake for newly arriving asylum seekers, to apply for another housing assistance option, which could include a faith or community-based organization or placement in a hotel in upstate New York. Migrants at this Jefferson Street shelter who spoke with the newspaper The City shared notices that they received on New York City letterhead with no agency specified and said they don't know what to do next. One migrant speaking in Spanish, Johandri Marquez, said it will be chaos. It's going to get ugly. Now, I am not for letting these migrants stay here in perpetuity, but these are all folks that are here, and if we're going to just kick them out after 60 days of these shelters, and they're not able to work, at least not legally, or they're not able physically, as in the case of Mr. Marquez, or they're just not wanting to work. What's going to happen? You have 100,000 and counting people in this city that are being shoved essentially out on the street that have no means of earning a living legally. And I predict this is going to be a total disaster. I think you are going to see a massive uptick in crime. These people that have gone from getting all their meals and shelter paid for by the taxpayers and are now shoved basically out onto the street, they're going to go out and rob somebody. So I'm not sure I have an answer, but I will tell you, when we see the looming crisis that this massive eviction leads to, I think Curtis's description of Eric Adams as being a man with no plan is quite apt. Beam me up. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. This is a sad story all around. The family of a New Jersey man with mental health problems called the Jersey City Medical Center Crisis Center for help last week, and police officers came instead, and they fatally shot Andrew Washington, despite the family's pleas to de-escalate the situation. Now, I want to be very clear. I'm not questioning what the police did. I am somebody that recognizes that the police have an impossible job, and they are often faced with very dangerous circumstances. But let's look at what happened here. The family of this Jersey City man who was documented to be suffering with mental illness, they say that there's still many unanswered questions following his death. Andrew Jerome Washington's family said they called this medical center crisis uh, hotline for help around 3 p.m. on Sunday. The police came. Mr. Washington had been treated for schizophrenia and bipolar disorder for decades, according to his two aunts. They said he'd been acting strangely the last few days, talking loudly to himself and banging on the apartment walls. The family said they believed he was off his medication and would harm himself. They said they called this Jersey City Medical Center Crisis Center for help, and instead several police officers arrived at the apartment. They said ultimately police fired two shots using real bullets, and he died after surgery at Jersey City Medical Center. And Doris Irvin, one of his aunts, told PIX11, I don't understand it because we called the crisis center for help. Family members said police arrived at Washington's home on Saturday before Sunday's fatal shooting after they called the crisis center for help. They said Washington stayed outside on his stoop and refused to go with the police. His family said Washington has had a long history with the Jersey City Medical Center Crisis Center and the Jersey City Police. He was shot in the arm by police in 2011 when they said he was refusing medical 
help. The Jersey City Police told PIX11 that officers responded to help EMS with a violent and emotionally disturbed person. I am sure that's true. What is clear to me is there are way too many incidents of people that are severely mentally ill being out and refusing any sort of treatment. And until we do something about this, until we do something about the number of severely mentally ill people that aren't getting the treatment that they clearly require, my fear is you're going to keep seeing incidents like this. I hope there's a thorough investigation of everything that went on here, not only for Mr. Washington's family, but for the next person with mental illness whose family calls asking for help, they don't end up dead. Beam me up! To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. 77 Local Spotlight. I have been watching the situation at NYU Langone's Brooklyn Hospital with a great deal of interest and consternation. And if there's anything that the COVID pandemic taught us, it's the importance of our healthcare workers and how they need to be treated with respect. Well, critical and intensive care nurses at NYU Langone Brooklyn claim they're treating as many as four patients at a time. That is twice the number allowed under a state regulation that went into effect in June. And the NYU nurses filed 30 complaints in the last week and a half against management at the Sunset Park Hospital. One ICU nurse and union leader said that uh, NYU Langone is playing Russian roulette with who we see and how we respond. Here was Ann Goldman, who's the head of the Federation of Nurses UFT union, which represents about a thousand nurses at NYU Langone. This is an emergency long overdue. It's heart-wrenching and we truly hope a purposeful dialogue, not rhetoric, not nonsense. We know how many patients they are and so do they. We want so much to make this work. I happen to know Ann Goldman. Her son is a very close friend of mine, but I still think she is absolutely right. NYU Langone is breaking the law by flouting minimum staff-patient ratios for its shifts, and this should absolutely not be tolerated. The hospital is claiming that the union is spreading false information. Well, it looks to me something that could be pretty obviously proven or disproven. All you have to do is count. New York State's 212 hospitals must assign at least one nurse for every two patients in critical care units under a rule that was approved in June. And the higher nurse-to-patient ratio for critical care patients is just one component of this law, which is so important. And what's the point of having a law if it's not going to be enforced. I hope NYU Langone gets its act together. Beam me up! To be continued.